0: In the same way your heart feels and your mind thinks, you, mortal beings, are the instrument by which the universe cares. If you choose to care, then the universe cares. If you don't, then it doesn't. Choose compassion and embrace the void. The universe is a cruel, uncaring void. The key to being happy isn't a search for meaning. It's to just keep yourself busy with unimportant nonsense, and eventually you'll be dead. Stop fighting it. You're going to be okay. Face the void. Call it a one-way vacation to the void.
1: Warning. This podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people.
0: episode 164 of embrace the void where we continue our coverage of the turner diaries election i am your host aaron and this week we're talking the many flavors of the far right so buckle up and let's get radicalized life ends
1: in death which we as a species are cursed with knowing resulting in something
0: my guest this week is Daniel Harper, co-host of the I Don't Speak German podcast. Daniel, would you like to say hi to the Void? Uh, hello, Void. Uh, nice to meet you.
1: Uh, I've been staring into an Thanks abyss for a while, but really not a Void. I guess it, it's a slightly different thing. I don't know. I, I assume as a philosopher. Void is
0: like the upgrade of the abyss. <laughs> you like you, you have to feed it enough tokens, and then it evolves from an abyss oh, to a Void. Oh, that makes sense.
1: That makes sense. Yeah. No, it's a, like, a, like a video gamification kind of thing of, uh, of the Nietzsche quote. Got it? Yeah. Sure.
0: I try to gamify everything. I think it just makes it a little bit better. (laughs) So thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate you uh, coming and having this chat. Um, You reached out a little while ago actually to talk about various folks that I've had on my show and share some notes about folks that you've talked about on your show and things. So um, I think there's interesting overlaps between our sort of beats as it were, while still being sort of substantially different in a variety of ways. So I'm curious to hear about uh, some of your favorites and highlights, but do you want to maybe start by giving folks a, just a sense of your uh, background and political priors and such?
1: Yeah, sure. So, uh, I mean, I guess if you're familiar with my show, I mean, we don't, uh, we definitely uh, are wear our politics on our sleeve a little bit. Um, it's a, we're pretty far left and by, you know, like <laughs> Bernie Sanders is center right in terms of you know, what kind of where my politics lie. Um, I generally think of myself mm-hmm. as um, I, I don't get it deeply into kind of like sectarian issues among the left, um, mostly because I'm just not too well read on sort of the, uh, a lot of the history that that people seem to uh, find uh, deeply important, <laughs> and I'm not too well read mm-hmm. on the kind of background theory, um, but I generally call myself something like a libertarian socialist, and uh, I tend to kind of work in that general sort of vein. I believe in like the end to capitalism <laughs> as a, in like the nation state itself is essentially a, a, a inherently unjust institution. So, you know, this, this has not placed me within, you know, sort of what most people consider to be kind of like a normal political sphere. But uh, I didn't, I, I, I definitely didn't start out that way. I grew up, uh, I'm from Alabama originally, and a pretty kind of normal, conservative, very kind of Uh, religious upbringing um, in this kind of what I call the chicken soup for the soul Christianity way in that uh, we weren't like Mm -hmm. kind of big churchgoers but we spent a lot of time, you know, kind of in this, in this sort of like broader evangelical subculture. We were adjacent to a lot of that as opposed to being a part of it. Um, I did go to public school as opposed to uh, one of the segregation academies, <laughs> um, which, uh, mm-hmm. which means I come from kind of the lower middle class um, outside Montgomery, Alabama. I kind of became a teenage libertarian after I read a bunch of Robert Heinlein and Ayn Rand uh, in my kind of last in my, in my high school years, and then just sort of like gradually moved left over over time. Um, but I was literally the kid who, like, Rush Limbaugh used to have a TV show, and I used to watch his TV show in the mornings while eating Pop Tarts when I was like. <laughs> 13 or 14 years old or whatever so um
0: wow yeah i mean it it, so you were you were born to the uh the darkness right you didn't choose it it you know
1: i was born in the dark you know as as uh bane would say so so yeah no i i've I've long had an interest in this um i was a christian for a while i kind of went from atheism to christianity in my early 20s i kind of converted as an adult and then left it a few years later um but i spent a lot of time hanging out in the uh the talk origins uh uh, Usenet group uh, between about 2003 okay. and 2005 or so, um, and that's uh, essentially
0: I'm not familiar. Oh, yeah,
1: that's uh, arguing with creationists essentially. So like, okay. you know, I was so I am familiar. Yeah, I, <laughs> so uh, and that was kind of where I got my my start, kind of like following these kinds of like far right French group movements uh, from a sociological perspective, mm-hmm. um, because I was a sort of like Christian evolution believer, like a strongly pro science, but You know, kind of liberal Mm -hmm. Christian kind of type. Right. And so I I, I ended up in a kind of an interesting rhetorical space there. And that's kind of where I found new atheism and then kind of moved through that as that ended up being like horrifyingly anti-Islam and anti-feminist. At least the roots of that Mm -hmm. were clear late to me later on. And then it becomes very obvious after Elevator Gate. And then, um, yeah, uh, basically, I've long kind of followed um, far right movements from as someone who was kind of gradually moving further and further left although I probably would have called myself more of a progressive liberal up until about like 2014 or so um and uh, only uh, only in the last few years so I really kind of aggressively moved into the like no I am not a liberal i am an actual like leftist so um, apologies for the slightly overlong uh, description but uh i I've, i I've no, there was plenty of had a lot of i've had a lot of like uh, uh, political i have a long political history let's just put it that way
0: yeah, and I'm curious to talk about the as as someone who identifies as both a progressive liberal and a socialist at this point. I'm I'm curious to discuss that with you. And I think we can we can put a pin in that until we get to theories of change sure. because I think that's where sort of the rubber meets the road in those distinctions in a lot of cases. Um but I also I also just find it really interesting in the way that you just described your history. Does it ever like freak you out a little bit how much your bio looks identical to the bios of the people that you're like researching and how like there, but for the grace of the void, you could have ended up on the other side of these conversations. I think that's part
1: of what makes me do this in, in the way that I do, honestly, mm-hmm. because, you know, in a very real way, I mean, there was this kind of, I don't know. Do you know, do you, if I say, when I say elevator gate, do you know what that means?
0: Yes, though why don't you share for folks who are not sure. deep into the <laughs> um atheist meta meta universe. Right. So
1: um there's an incident where uh, Rebecca Watson, who um at the time was I believe at the time she was a co host of the Skeptics Guide to the Universe podcast and uh was a kind of known uh person within um within New Atheism. Uh she did like Skeptic um, she was a, she was and is a very cool person. Um, had attended mm-hmm. an atheist conference um was up kind of drinking <laughs> in a bar with some people uh, bleriaed is going back to her hotel room at three in the morning uh, with another guy who's they'd been who she'd been talking to um, in the elevator and he asked to he asked her to come back to his uh, hotel room at three in the morning after they've all mm-hmm. been drinking and the next day or two she kind of comes back and she was doing this uh, these kind of like a very kind of low rent vlogs at the time and she literally kind of describes the incident and says something to the effect of guys just maybe don't do that you know it's a bad look
0: mm-hmm. and and my understanding is that this was this was after she gave a talk about approaching like interacting in these sorts of spaces and with regard to gender explicitly is that right i
1: don't remember if that was a big part of that i mean i don't know if she actually spoke on that, oh, topic, that was the way it was but, i
0: think described to me at one point yeah, but yeah go ahead yeah within
1: the, within i mean skeptic was like very i mean they did like a nude calendar of like you know skeptics you know like produce you know uh Sharing reason and nudity mm-hmm. at the same time, and they did you know they, they did both a uh, male and female version of that a few years at like a you know two thousand eight I think, mm-hmm. um, and so there, there there was always something kind of cheeky and fun and where I'm just one of the guys sort of thing, but um, and she's actually kind of made statements about that since then or just kind of feeling like yeah that was maybe not the best place to be and maybe I was not as like she was always an open feminist but maybe. Didn't push hard enough mm-hmm. on those kinds of issues and allowed certain kinds of um, toxic behaviors to kind of go unmolested. So anyway, the the big mm-hmm. issue there becomes that this becomes this big breaking point among what were generally kind of more lefty progressive types within the kind of organized skepticism, organized atheism. Um, and uh, you know, a more reactionary wing, shall we say. And uh, like Richard mm-hmm, Dawkins mm-hmm. kind of came out and um, said some shit. Uh, sorry, I didn't prep for Elevator Gate, so I don't have all the details. Uh, well no, this me, this
0: was the this was the fracturing of atheism fra- into woke and not right, woke. Exactly. Right, as and far it as kind as of like it.
1: new atheism as sort of a singular thing sort of sort of breaks apart at that moment, right? And um mm-hmm. you get uh, uh Thunderfoot becomes kind of the big like name person who um, really Mm -hmm. kind of goes on and on and on about like, you know, we're just men having fun. And this is ordinary relations between the sexes, of course, which there are only two, et cetera, et cetera. And um, ironically, this ends up being, ends up being very relevant to sort of what I'm studying now because um, Gamergate is a few years later and that same kind Mm -hmm. of reactionary wing of sort of this online, angry atheist men (laughs) overwhelmingly white men end up also kind of getting deeply invested in the Gamergate thing and a lot of the same personalities are um present in Mm -hmm. both and then some percentage of those people turned into like full-on nazis or at least um started like the movement gets um injected with like kind of a full-on white nationalist um a uh, point uh, yeah, there's an on ramping yeah, around 2014 right? and 2015 and there's there's some evidence it's it's kind of it's almost impossible to kind of piece this together but most of the people who study this and kind of are aware of that era say that, that was that was like an intentional thing that the um mm-hmm. that these uh, white nationalists what we at the time were calling alt right I don't use alt-right a lot just because it's a complicated term and it gets used in a lot of different ways. We can talk about that if you want. But, you know, kind of open white nationalists Mm -hmm. literally like seeded their ideas into these communities as a way of um, giving credence to their movement. Um, That seems to be kind of what happened because if you were following like kind of the anti-feminist right – Um, at the time, if you were kind of following that stuff through, like, We Hinder the Mammoth, David Futrell's blog, um, it really
0: does just become, Mm -hmm. like,
1: at some, at some point, they all just turn into Nazis, and it was, and it's, you know,
0: wow! (laughs) Yeah, well, that was one of my questions for you, like, how many flavors of Nazi have you identified, and do you feel like it's meaningful to... Distinguish between all these different flavors of Nazi.
1: I mean, part of what uh, I don't—I mean, a lot of what I don't speak German is. I assume you're going to uh, record an intro that describes what. Yeah. Okay. Um, a lot of what I don't speak German does is. Well,
0: we'll, we'll get to, we'll get to talking about it in a second, but for okay. sure.
1: Um, a lot of what I don't speak German does is uh, to um, describe the the various personalities and the various flavors of you know what kinds of people you can see and how they. Uh, divide amongst themselves, what they argue amongst themselves, because nobody hates the... No one hates a Nazi more than another Nazi. Um, that's probably not literally mm-hmm. true, but...
0: So it's exactly like the left, is what it's, you're saying? Well,
1: the the metaphor that I like to use is that, um, you know, if the if the kind of leftist infighting is often like the, the, the Mexican standoff, the um, mm-hmm. rightist version of that, or the far-right version of that, is the Mexican standoff, but where everyone's using um, uh, super soakers filled with uh, Botulism laced diarrhea. Um, it just gets disease <laughs> and death all over everything it touches. Um, it's it's and it, 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 no one ever, it ever no one ever seems to like actually go away or very rarely do they go away. It's just this kind of like fetid swamp of nastiness. Whereas lefty mm-hmm. fighting is much more kind of direct and angry. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's 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 <laughs> there's a, there's a strange there there is this kind of like a structural difference and then often the lefty fighting is about. Like, as much as, like, look, fuck tankies, right? Um, Sorry, can I swear on this Mm -hmm. podcast? (laughs) Yeah, you're fine. Yeah, fuck tankies. Um, You will not find support for Stalin apologia um in 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 me at all um but but you know a lot of the a lot of the lefty infighting is over like issues of substance right like there are reasons you know Hmm. methodological problems um you know it's not all issues of substance but there is like a a goal of like we're actually trying to build a better world here and so the the fighting actually sort of has purpose whereas
0: the Sure. Though, of course, the Nazis think they're trying to build a better world, too. It's just a different, you know, wider world. It's
1: a wider world. It's, like, how open should we be about genocide is often the sort of, like, what they're fighting about. Like, you know. But um, let me...
0: So, I mean, I noted from the way you described your your sort of experiences and, and the way you thought about Elevator Gate, I get the impression that while you identify as a socialist, you identify as a fairly woke socialist. Oh, yeah, definitely. In the social justice sphere sense of oh, things. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, there is at least, like, the the tension on the left between social justice... Uh, straight Marxists and the classical liberals who still want to claim that they're on <laughs> sure. the left. We can certainly debate how accurate that is at this point. But, you know, what I'm saying is that, like, there are those tensions at least um, playing out.
1: Right. And, and you know, I, I think class redu- – I don't know. This gets – i don't again, we can talk about this. This gets into some complicated places. I think, like, what is often called class reductionism is often – the term gets Mm -hmm. kind of misapplied because I do think we should be viewing things through class, but that doesn't mean not understanding the, um, that, that the other vectors of oppression that come along with that. And, you know, this, the, the, Mm -hmm. the the basic, the basic ideas of like intersectionality and let's use the the horrifying phrase critical race theory. Um, you know, the, the Mm -hmm. idea that, you know, a, an African-American woman, um, Working in a factory is going to have a different experience and, an, and in many, many cases, well, in the majority of cases, a, a worse experience based on specifically racial oppression than the straight white male would working in that same job that, that we, we have to kind of view these things in concert. And so yeah, I mean I'm I, I am a mm-hmm. I I think I'm pretty woke <laughs> in in that in that sense. Mm-hmm. And um I do consider myself a socialism, but I think that like viewing things through these identity lenses that having this um angle on things that that appreciates the role of race, the role of gender, the role of uh, identity, gender identity Of of ability, Uh, if we're not including those things within our class analysis, then we're not really even doing class analysis. So I I thoroughly reject this sort of Mm -hmm. like, you know, Marxist Leninist or kind of early twentieth century, you know, you know that that thinking about these issues is you know a a barrier to us understanding um, Mm -hmm. the the real Mm -hmm. issues of class. I think that's just a complete misread of reality, frankly.
0: I I think we're very similar in terms of how we're trying to integrate a lot of these concepts, which I think is, is interesting. But that, I didn't bring you on here to force you to talk about Marxism. <laughs> I brought you on here to force you to talk about Nazis. Sure. So let's talk about I don't speak German. Sure. Um, first, help me out here. This has been killing my brain slowly since uh, for a while now. I don't speak German. That's a reference. What is it a reference to you for for y'all? It's not
1: even really – like. so uh, my co-host Jack and I have been like podcasting. We were like Doctor Who podcasters and stuff. Like We've been friends mm-hmm. for a few <laughs> years. Um, and we've been doing podcasts that go out to a couple of hundred people, like kind of lefty Doctor Who nerds who want to listen to us talk about a forty-year-old serial through the lens of intersectional feminism and Marxist theory, et cetera. You know, um, it's a very, uh,
0: it's it's. A, <laughs> I know, I know a certain British person who really wants to listen to your show. Actually, yeah, yeah now that sure. You I, I
1: may, I may very well know that person. We can, we can talk off mic, but
0: um, you Mike Hall. Do you know Mike Hall? Oh, I don't know Mike Hall, but like you know, oh. I, I would. Yeah. I would assure you
1: if there's a British Doctor Who fan, uh, meaningfully on the left, uh, they probably know who Jack Graham is at the very least. And, uh, I'm sure we've kind of moved in similar uh-huh. circles in the past. Um, but, um, so we were kind of like minor, you know, we were little celebrities in that little world, right. You know, where, you know, some people had heard mm-hmm. of us, we, you know, um, and, uh, I started kind of, I kind of dropped the Doctor Who podcasting when I started researching the far right. This was after the um, election of Donald Trump, um, like summer of 2016. I had started um, listening to some of these podcasts more out of like curiosity. These kind of like far right. Um, I, I saw a reference to one called Fascination, and I just sort of tickled mm-hmm. my brain of like, what could, what could be on that show? Like, what's the show actually like? Right. And um, so I started listening to it, um, you know, again, I kind of just put it in my podcast rotation, just kind of idly. And um, when Trump won, I think a lot of us uh, went through a, uh, a period of self-reflection and kind of like, no, what, what do we do now? Like, what the fuck does, does life look like? It's right? a nice word for it, but sure. Uh, <laughs> well, um, I mean, I, you know, I think I was numb you know, for, for a while. And I was just kind of like trying to like figure out what to do. And one of the things that I started, one of the things that I did was I started kind of listening to the fascination the Nation show, which was the only one I was listening to at that time, more attentively in terms of like, well, what is, what does this mean? How what are the connections between this and the new administration and there are some big question marks there and there certainly were at the time um there's some evidence that uh you know like some members of fascination is part of the the right stuff radio network um and one of the the major show on the right stuff is the daily showa um one of the members one of the people who has shown up on that radio network and has occasionally appeared on the daily showa is a guy named Matthew Q Gerbert uh, Matthew Q Gerbert um was a up until last year a um fairly high up member of the US state department and so we can pretty much guarantee that there that there are more connections than that but so personal friends mm-hmm. of these guys who are literally making like gas chamber jokes i mean the show is called the daily showa was a member of the trump administration <laughs> you know mm-hmm. with a like
0: I appreciate you, by the way, continuing to downshift and downshift your references. I'm not sure you've still reached, you've yet reached a level where probably the majority of my audience references any of the nouns that you've referred to in the past few minutes. But I really, like, I recognize that you're trying very, very hard to make this accessible to human beings who do not spend all of their time understanding this arcana. Right.
1: Yeah. It's one of those things. Well, and and that was like I had always said. I've been listening to the shows. I've been, and I started listening to more and more of the shows until it became kind of a the 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 idle interest became a hobby became kind of an obsession, and I was just spending like hours every day listening to it like today I probably spend about thirty probably thirty hours a week listening to nazis Nazi propaganda. Um, that's mm-hmm. pretty like and I've done that pretty continually for most of the last four years at this point just to be just to be clear about like the amount of this material I've actually consumed um I've consumed more of this than most of the fans of this material have <laughs> which is
0: mm-hmm. um, I know that feeling yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so um, so yeah as and I was talking to Jack um a lot just kind of mm-hmm. in the in the back channel and I mean we were friends we we you know, We have, you know, we chat all the time, right? Um, And at the beginning of 2019, he says, uh, we should do a podcast. I know you've been trying to figure out how to write some essays or maybe write a book or kind of figure out how to talk about this stuff to a bigger audience. We should do a podcast. And what what I'll do is what he said Mm -hmm. to me. You'll pick a topic. I'll ask you to explain that topic. And then we'll just kind of go through and we'll do... We'll do a regular podcast, mm-hmm. and it'll be a way to help you to kind of get your notes together and to get figure out how to talk about this because this is always the challenge, which you highlighted. Is well, what level do you, you know, how every time you start to tell a story about a show called The Daily Showa, you then have to describe what The Daily Showa is and the history of that and why it's named that and the different people involved. <laughs> and so, to complete one sentence, you would have had to write. You know, to write an essay about, like, some issue that's going on within that world that's mm-hmm. affecting U.S. Mm-hmm. politics, you have to write 30 pages of, like, backstory in order to get kind of get people on board with it. And so trying to figure out, like, how do you even write about this, right? Um, and so the podcast mm-hmm. was, was really, like, Jack saying, like, look, just come on. We'll talk about it. It'll go out to a couple hundred people you'll kind of figure it out as we go along and, um, it, and it'll give you a, a way to kind of do this, to kind of figure out how to do this. And so it was like, yeah, no, let's do that. And immediately we were getting like multiple times what we thought we were going to be getting in terms of, uh, the listenership. <laughs> and then, uh, fairly early on okay. the, uh, the podcaster and writer, uh, Robert Evans, he does the behind the bastards podcast. Um, Sure. Discovered the show and like tweeted it out and then like name checked us on an episode, and immediately our numbers went mm-hmm. from. I, I don't like to reveal the exact numbers, but they they went like ten times as high, and they've since remained that high. Um, this, you know, mm-hmm. for the for the number of li- we get we get this insane number of listeners. So I say all that because you asked about the title. The title doesn't like I I said the words I don't speak German on the first episode when we didn't know what to call it, and Jack said, well, we should mm-hmm. just call it I don't speak German. And he had this kind of thing of, like, you'd be speaking German if it wasn't for us kind of idea. And I saw it more as, like, mm-hmm. German is sort of, like, speaking German is sort of, like, I'm explaining the terminology and the history of these people. I'm teaching people how to, quote-unquote, speak German, i.e. speak Nazi. Um, but it really right. was just kind of this idle thing that we never thought, like, we would not have called it that if we thought we were going to get the audience that we do. So we're kind of stuck with this, like, weird
0: branding. Um <laughs> Interesting. Um, Well, it's interesting because it... Yeah, I mean, it sounds to me like the kind of thing you'd throw into the face of a Nazi as, like, an insult. Sort of like a version of... um, uh, I'm sure that that was better in the original German right. as a way to subtly sort of say, you know, this is a little fash. Uh, it's, um, it's... So it, it felt to me like something from a movie, but I, I guess maybe 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 if any of the listeners can think of what I'm vaguely half remembering in my mind, if it's not specifically a movie reference for you, but it feels like something beyond just like the fish called Wanda. You'd all be speaking German. <laughs> yeah,
1: of. I mean, I mean, it has it has kind of similar like relevance. I mean, I think people once they kind of understand what the show is the jokes sort of makes sense even though it's not so much a joke or even a reference as much as it's sort of a general gesture at a reference um mm-hmm, but you mm-hmm. know it actually um ironically um i do occasionally get emails from people who from german speakers from people in germany who uh actually feel slightly insulted by it and uh, yeah, i do i do <laughs> apologize i mean it's 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 reasonable like i, I get that <laughs> you know um Mm-hmm, and ironically, mm-hmm. the joke doesn't work in Central Europe. I've had I've had some listeners from, you know, like Austria and Poland, et cetera. And in that area of the world, like being like Germany is to be like the liberal Kukistan sort of thing. Like there are propaganda okay. videos in like Poland where they'll go through like a German park and it's full of uh, people wearing hijab. And uh, I'd be like, is this mm. the future you want for Poland? You know, like. The, the, Germany, the, the way for Germany is the future for Europe, et cetera. Um, and so, and mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, the joke doesn't work at all. And so my my kind of Central and Eastern European listeners, um, of which I have, you know, I, I do occasionally get messages. They, they're like, I don't get that. I don't get it at all. Like, they literally just do not understand what the meaning of it is. So it's, it, it is just kind of, you know. That's
0: weird. I mean, I can understand not thinking it's as funny a joke in the current situation, but literally not getting it just seems like – that seems like basic recent history kind of stuff, uh, but that is that is funny that they that uh, the the Germans have overcorrected in that kind of way or corrected I suppose would just be the correct term there. Right. But and of course um, Germany has so, its own so Germany talk-
1: has its own like kind of present problems with this these kinds of far right movements of which um, one of the things that I do is I focus almost entirely on the American side um, because if I were trying to do like a global look that I there's just orders of magnitude more material if I'm trying to understand this and political systems that I'm not too familiar with, etc. So I spend very little time kind of thinking and talking about like Europe, but they have their own, they have their own um, internal issues there. Mm-hmm. So sure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's got their own Nazis. Everybody's got their Nazis. Um, so yeah. sorry, go ahead. So let's talk about specific groups a little bit sure. here. Uh, I'm curious, are there ones that have stood out to you in the, in the time that you've been doing this that are like the worst of the worst, like the ones that you feel like people should be getting should be getting more attention either because of their intensity or their effectiveness
1: well there's um there are kind of two angles on this right um and uh mm-hmm. one is Well, you can talk about sort of like hate groups and hate movements in the sense of like people are kind of going out and committing crimes, committing hate crimes. Um, And then you can kind of talk about Mm -hmm. more kind of politicized movements. And this is um, something that I think is essential Mm -hmm. to sort of understand if you want to understand this this kind of subculture and these kinds of movements is that you basically have, um, and and I can highly recommend a book by uh, Leonard Zeskind, um, published in 2009, called um, Blood and Politics, which kind of discusses the entire history of white nationalism in the United States. Um, between about 1948 to about 2002 is when the book's narrative kind of ends. Um, but Zeskind identifies a um, there's a difference between the kind of mainstreamer end of this uh, of white nationalism versus the vanguardists. Um, and in his kind of phraseology, I don't have the book in front of me, so I'm not going to be able to quote from him. But I have read from that chapter um, fairly substantially uh, early on in the podcast history. The mainstreamers are people doing something that looks something like ordinary political movement. They're handing out flyers. They're making websites. They're doing, you know, podcasts or, you know, books and all that sort of thing. It looks like we're trying to get people to do voting or we're trying to get people to do some kind of political organizing. that looks something like what we would consider ordinary political activism. Whereas the vanguardists Mm -hmm. are trying to sort of either build a kind of parallel movement. They're, they're kind of going off and, Creating um, alternate societies and in, in hunting lodges and arming up for the, the race war, etc. Or mm-hmm. they're going out and actually kind of creating um, mayhem and, and political violence. Um, and in the kind of more modern parlance, I've been referring to these people as the um, the movementarians versus the siege pillars. Um, it's just kind of a little bit more modern parlance. And so when you ask me who are the really awful ones, um, the siege pillars are the Truly terrible ones, and if you listen to episodes 28 and 29 of the podcast um, of I Don't Speak German, I discuss them to to some detail. Um, This is based on a book uh, by James Mason, which was... um, Collected from a series of newsletters um, that he published in the early '80s, um, and James Mason is a like a former affiliate of uh, George Lincoln Rockwell, who uh, founded the American Nazi Party um, in the '60s. Um, pardon me, uh, a little bit earlier than that, I think. Um, but um, uh, Rockwell is literally, pardon me, um, Mason was literally a teenager who wrote to <laughs> who wrote to William Luther Pierce. Um, in the Mm -hmm. 60s. Now, William Luther Pierce would go on to write The Turner Diaries, which is the book that created Mm -hmm. the... um, It's sort of the inspiration for the uh, Oklahoma City bombing. Um,
0: I was literally just talking about on Philosophers in Space earlier today. (laughs)
1: Um, So... uh, uh, James Mason, as a teenager, wrote to William Luther Pierce, who at the time was uh, doing uh, his own uh, kind of—he had his own kind of political group—asking um, him, telling him that he planned to walk into his school and like shoot up the place. And William Luther Pierce literally talked the kid down. <laughs> so this gives you some idea when the author of the Turner Diaries <laughs> is the voice of fucking reason. <laughs> this gives you some idea yeah. about uh, about how uh, hardcore James Mason is, and so. Um, a modern yeah.
0: group briefly for folks who aren't familiar the turner diaries is a dystopian society collapses and then we have the day of the rope where white people murder a bunch of people of color as a solution to the race problem um effectively yeah it's, it's the <laughs> right and it's the it's the inspiration for things like the boogaloo boys right and Um, I think was directly inspiring to Timothy McVeigh. Yeah, Timothy McVeigh
1: read it. Timothy McVeigh, I believe he sold it um, and handed out copies at gun shows. Um, He was, yeah, he was he was deeply invested in that. Uh, Yeah, there's some kind of complicated relationships between the um, the American militia movement and the Turner, like the white nationalist movement and the militia movement. That's another kind of complicated space. But um, Mm -hmm. so these people who are inspired by this book, Siege. Um, to essentially, uh, the idea is they they take um, Mason takes a lot of his philosophy from uh, Charles Charles Manson, uh, yes, that Charles Manson. Mm-hmm. He considers Charles Manson sort of the the new instantiation of like Jesus Christ or something to that effect, and um, that like Christ, he was also
0: trying to start a race war, so that makes sense. Yeah,
1: Christ, Christ, Hitler, and Manson are sort of like the three like major figures in this like kind of broader uh, theology that James Mason holds, um, which. I'm not like one hundred percent clear on the exact like exactly where this theology comes from. um James Mason has since written books on theology, which I have not read. I have read Siege. These guys end up being um the idea is that we are not going to like spark off the race war ourselves. We're going to increase the tension in society. So that um, ordinary, like normal right wing adults who are secretly fed up with all this race mixing and it's, you know, all the gay people and degeneracy, et cetera, et cetera. Those people are then are going to be pushed so close to the wall that they're going to go out and do the violence in our stead. And so um, certainly mm-hmm. in 2019, there were a number of um, podcasts and live streams that were um deliberately trying to kind of push this kind of agenda. And you would see um, people from the Siege Pillar movement, or it's not really a movement. They they would hate it if I call it a movement. They get very mad at me for <laughs> describing things in certain yeah. words. Um, I do have a substantial Nazi audience, so you may get some Nazis listening to this one. Uh, <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, no, the, the uh, Siege Pillars um, would go into, you know, for instance, um, uh, groups... Uh, discussion groups of uh, like true crime novels, for instance, a true crime podcast, and try to convince, try to black pill, um, try to kind of create nihilistic uh, collapse in the uh, attitudes of like the young women who just sort of like liked true crime fiction, um, and who were like, mm-hmm. and, and tried to sort of try to sort of like create this sort of like attitude. So you would see like that sort of thing from this crowd. And so when you ask me like who are the really nasty ones? I mean, the siege pillars are definitely. Up there I mean um, One that One that your listeners Probably know about Is the Is the group Adam Atomwaffen division
0: um, And this is um, You're almost Like You're within Spitting distance Of where human beings Might understand <laughs> yes. What you're talking about But you're still Not quite there yeah, yet So um, Keep trying It's great <laughs>
1: you're just going to have to cut in like little explanations
0: and uh, you know i always just to... <laughs> there's there's no way to i mean like there's no way to yeah. do it I, the, the, I think this is useful because it conveys how much specialized knowledge one has to gain before like you even begin to understand how many like of these groups there are and how they interact with each other and right. stuff so yeah continue on adam waffen <laughs> yeah adam waffen division which is uh,
1: adam waffen is the german word for atom atomic weapon um and uh so this is a, a kind of a hardcore nihilist uh, group uh, essentially a terror group um if you've uh, kind of seen the um the meme um in uh, the Pacific Northwest the um quote unquote journalist uh, the pseudo journalist Andy No um there's a there's a uh, Andy No Andy No what's the what's the exact wording of it uh um provides uh provides kill lists to Adam Waffen. I forget the exact the exact phrasing of that. Um mm-hmm. but it was kind of a big meme. Mm-hmm. Um last year after um you know a complicated situation not really even a complicated situation, but Andy No um kind of wrote some articles kind of uh, connecting uh, mainstream journalists to anti fascists and saying like no these sure, are secretly anti journalists And then the group, Adam Waffen Division, or someone very similar to them, because there's there's this kind of loose confederation of people who, there were a bunch of different divisions, all with like German first names. And um, anyway, um, there were a whole bunch of these kind of like loosely affiliated groups. Um, One of these, um, somebody involved in that group, made a um, video which included um, sort of like headshots for all these journalists and uh, with the kind of implication that these people should be like considered targets for um for uh people who are in this kind of siege mentality um and uh mm-hmm. there were two more videos that were made um kind of later than that not, didn't get as much um play as the first one did because the first one had some really kind of prominent mm-hmm. names on it um i didn't end up on one of those <laughs> one of those just uh just you know uh, how it goes how it goes but um oh, congrats <laughs> so yeah cheers um yeah i get death threats it's a Is, thing, and, you know.
0: and, and I mean, what do what are your feelings about Andy Nego, Andy Ngo, and sort of his role in all of this um, extended universe?
1: Um, I mean, I don't think Andy Knows a Nazi, but like he's certainly, um, you know, he's he's anti-antifa, and uh, he's certainly a reactionary, and he's much more kind of he hangs out with a lot of these figures in the, which you know, uh, you and I mm-hmm. have chatted. He he uh, he hangs out with a lot of these figures within sort of that IDW, the Intellectual Dark Web level space. Mm -hmm. Um, who are much more sort of mainstream than certainly the Nazis I'm describing. Um, but they kind of ultimately share the same, the same enemies. Right. Um, I mean, Andy No will like post like Antifa mugshots. Like, I mean, he, he, he's deliberately, um, misleading to his audience about sort of the levels of crimes that are being committed by these, like, Antifa terrorists, etc., cetera. Um, and in some cases, he has actually, you know, like, actively manipulated facts to show that things are the way that they are not. Um,
0: yeah, in my sense, he has connections, my understanding is he has connections to the Proud Boys. Oh, no, he has, he has deep to connections to... to the
1: Proud Boys. And there was an incident at, um, mm-hmm. uh, at, a, at a bar in Portland called Cider Riot, um, where uh, he was mm-hmm. filmed by someone who had infiltrated one of these groups. Um, he had... A <laughs> He was filmed by an infiltrator, like a left wing infiltrator, into one of these right wing groups, essentially hanging around while they planned to uh, attack anti fascists coming out of this bar cider riot. And there is mm-hmm. video of kind of Andy not literally participating, but certainly kind of smiling and laughing. And he's very friendly and jocular with all of these figures. And he certainly never reported that he had witnessed um, this far right group. Um, I believe it was Patriot Prayer, Um, but um, he certainly never reported that he was um, involved in this. Like, he didn't report this incident in his reporting. And so um, he's a clear ideologue. He's clearly, uh, I mean, you know, he is, he puts people's lives in danger, um, people who uh, report from Portland. Um he's uh mm-hmm. I haven't done an episode on him mainly because like he doesn't like he does have like kind of kind of a, a kind of a public online presence. He does have like a YouTube channel, um, which I stuck in my archive list. So we might do one on him, but um I really think the uh, the the on the ground activist in Portland could do a, do a much better job of, of discussing them. Um if you uh, go back and there's one episode, um and I forget the I don't have the number in front of me, but one of the ones that Dave Nywert uh, was on um, the first one he was on, um, we described, um, and the Andy no milkshaking and, um, Dave, uh, mm-hmm. who is someone whom I've respected for a long time and who is a listener to the podcast and hopefully we'll come back sometime soon. Um, <laughs> uh, described, uh, Andy Noe's activities as someone who does, uh, who is a responsible researcher of the, of, of the far right. And who does have, uh, deep, deep professional criticisms of Andy. No. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, I believe one of the, uh, Okay. one of the central lines that david said was uh, <laughs> I said, so so he covers the protests in Portland, and he and he says well he certainly attends them i wouldn't call it reporting <laughs> so um Fair i will enough. i will uh i will rely on david's uh david's expertise on that one
0: mm-hmm. so so i mentioned the proud boys sure. and they they actually got a shout out by the president himself of course and i'm curious do you, you know, do they fall into a category of, like, serious concern to you? And are there groups like them that you feel like are sort of disproportionately mainstreamed in terms of their brand name versus, like, the actual concern they raise for you versus, like, the um, the Siege folks? Well,
1: uh, one of the things about the Siege folks, just uh, just to be clear, is that a bunch of, like, the FBI actually did finally go after these guys. Um, I was actually really mm-hmm. personally threatened. Um, if you, if you uh, go check, go Google my name. Daniel Harper, The Wrong House, you will find a uh, piece by uh, Nick Martin who uh, described how uh, members of a group called The Base, or at least in the Telegram group called The Base, um, threatened a young family because they thought they had my address, but it was actually somebody else's address. It's a long, complicated story. Um so I was I was actually like personally threatened by members of this group. Um as were a lot of mm-hmm. other activists. Um and the FBI actually did start to like take an interest in them and uh to a large degree also anti-fascist like doxed a bunch of them. Um, and, uh, that group, the, the siege community, like they still sort of exist in this like deeply underground way, but like they stopped podcasting after I recorded those episodes, they deleted their archives online mm-hmm. after I, because they, it turned out that people knowing what they were doing and like openly talking about it was enough to sort of get them to like kind of straighten up and fly. Right. Um, there were also sort of internal fights that they were having amongst themselves where they started doxing each other and they, you know, recriminations go back and forth. this is the uh, laden super soaker thing again um so the siege guys are not nearly as much of a problem today as they were in 2019 and to a large degree they've they've kind of those ideas that they were having seem to have like kind of pushed into like the boogaloo boys um whereas the boogaloo boys are Mm -hmm. less are Mm -hmm. not like kind of overtly about like this kind of like explicit racial superiority as much as um you know, the, the, sort of an like this kind of libertarian coded white supremacist ideal, um, and even that gets complicated. I, I talk a lot about the boogaloo because it's important, but where I first discovered the term boogaloo was within. These, like, kind of siege siege themed podcasts, these siege pillar podcasts and such. Um, mm-hmm. But the term actually kind of goes back a little bit further. Again, a more complicated story, which is not the question you actually asked me. Um, talking
0: about. Well, let me. Since you've mentioned the Boogaloo Bunch, my understanding is that that term is a replacement for the Day of the Rope in Turner Diaries. Yeah. It's just an alternative. <laughs> sort of less explicit in term. a lot of
1: ways it is i mean you know the the idea of the the day of the rope is sort of the day in which and this comes directly from the turner diaries and it, you get like there was briefly a podcast called day of the rope which i listened to which was a siege Pill podcast um i
0: uh <laughs> <laughs> oh the kinds of sentences fuck me you con- know <laughs> continue <laughs> yeah. um and for, just for folks who are not familiar, what he's saying there is siege pill. Yes. You see in these communities the, the the suffix pill attached to red pilling, black pilling. These mean sort of different ways that people get radicalized uh, in different directions. Right.
1: Yeah. And we can talk about the various pills if you're interested in that. Um, you know, again, I talk. <laughs> I t- don't have time. I talk about this <laughs> stuff way. so much that like sometimes I, I kind of like uh, I forget to. Downshift quite as much as I should, but um, but yeah, no, the um, <laughs> um, yeah, the Boogaloo is broadly similar to the Day of the Rope concept, although the Day of the Rope seems to be sort of like there's going to be this day in which chaos reigns, and then we're all go- we're going to take all the. African-Americans and all the gay people and all the traitors to this country or to the white race. And they're all going to be strung up from trees. And it's sort of like, all, like all the judges and everybody who isn't kind of on board with this kind of far right agenda. And so it's just kind of like mm-hmm. cleansing fire kind of idea that one day we're all just going to sort of wake up and this is just going to happen through chaos. Whereas Boogaloo seems to be more like, it's a very similar idea, but it's kind of more built like the chaos itself is the point as opposed to there mm. being a kind of like we're going to ensue chaos but not towards like a p- particular political goal it's a little bit less defined for, for justice right right it's uh-huh. it's yeah it's 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 yeah sorry i need to think about that a little bit more cuz i haven't quite put things in quite that many words before but i think there's something no there yeah
0: That's- that's all right. So I'm curious, what is the role of QAnon in the world that you inhabit? Do they pop into this world frequently? More frequently recently? Um, How do you see the? Connection? I don't spend
1: a lot of time with QAnon. Um, the QAnon, like it's it's interesting that um, you do see you do see some of the kind of like QAnon. There there are occasionally people who have a. Um, kind of a respect for this kind of QAnon idea um, within this kind of like white nationalist world. Um, But most of the idea, like the people that I follow, and that should be clear from like where we've gone so far. Like I literally track like the furthest of the far right, like, I I have found Mm -hmm. the right wall on this. Like anything that I'm not able to follow just kind of isn't online anywhere. Like that's sort of the, the extremity uh,
0: extremity besides the dark net, I suppose.
1: Yeah. I mean the dark net um, I don't spend a ton of time on the dark net. I mean, you know, but like um, a lot of these groups are like encrypted groups. They put out like audio files and video files on like no name services that disappear in two days and that sort of thing. And so there's a lot of, you know, it's kind of, if it's being organized online, I'm tracking it. I've found like about as far right as you can go that's that's in any way sort of like of a propagandistic like nature, right? Um, And the reason Mm -hmm. I do that is because that's kind of where I feel like my skills are best laid. And so sometimes I do end up researching these like super, super obscure figures that have tiny audiences, but whose ideas and whose kind of rhetoric um, feeds into kind of the, the step left of them and then it feeds to the step left of them et cetera, et cetera. Um, And so it's important to track these guys um, and hardly anybody else is tracking those guys. Now, when you talk about QAnon, there are a number of people, there's the whole QAnon Anonymous podcast that already exists to Mm -hmm. delve way more deeply, way more often into the kind of details. I know a number of people who are um, very concerned with um, with Q and this kind of QAnon movement. And so I I don't have the time to kind of do both, right? Um, And so the Mm -hmm. figures that I am interested in, um are interested in sort of the same like kinds of ideas of, about like sort of like um sort of child sacrifice and you know Jeffrey Epstein as a child molester etc but mostly what the people i follow see is they say well yeah but QAnon is just this kind of like boomer thing where they're being distracted hmm. from the real enemy by this kind of nonsense conspiracy theory right So, um, Mm -hmm. like, they may believe that, like, Hillary Clinton was, you know, (laughs) abusing children. Like, QAnon grows out of Pizzagate, right? And Pizzagate was uh, kind of pushed by, like, Mike Cernovich. Well, the people I'm following see, like, Mike Cernovich, and they see Pizzagate, and they see QAnon, and they say, this is just a distraction because really what we should be talking about is the role of the Jews in all of this. Because ultimately, it's like, well,
0: I thought the Pizzagate folks were all over the whole Jew thing, right. too. I mean, the QAnon conspiracy also grows out of blood right. libel, which is an explicitly Jewish conspiracy. Right. But it, it, so, I mean, it, I guess it just— It grows yeah. out
1: of it. I, I'm not out. disagreeing with you, but it grows out of it. But it's like you're not talking about the Mossad. You're not talking about the roles of Israel. Mm-hmm. You're not talking about these financiers who are secretly controlling world currency, et cetera, et cetera. You're just kind of, like, naming it. And you trust in, like, Donald Trump, who has Jews all through his cabinet— <laughs> <laughs> to come mm-hmm. kind of, and be kind of like saving grace and a and way, QAnon is sort of this like religious fervor built around this kind of god figure of donald trump in a way and the people that i'm True. following kind of left trump behind a long time ago like they no longer see him as like part of their thing they see him as kind of like um is corrupted and, and always corrupt in most cases um uh, although the the movement was was kind of it was it was definitely I, I use the term catalyst it was catalyzed by by Trump's candidacy in some very real ways and so there's a very real connection there um mm-hmm. but like they see they see like qAnon as like this kind of controlled opposition kind of kind of strategy um and uh
0: i guess that's probably common in the conspiracy theory world to just any conspiracy theory that isn't your conspiracy theory is part of the they trying to control things by throwing people off the scent. I imagine everybody feels that way about opposing conspiracies if they haven't absorbed right.
1: Them. Exactly, exactly. So,
0: so I mean, you're absolutely correct
1: that um, QAnon dr- grows out of the blood libel and you know the the, the these ideas of you know, child sacrifice, etc. Um, you know, th- there is a strongly anti Semitic undertone, but it's not explicit enough. <laughs> <laughs> for the guys that I follow, mm-hmm. um, and
0: so it's se- I see <laughs> it's a little too dog. A little too dog whistly. Yeah, I, I know when you're just saying
1: globalist, yeah. you're not really doing the thing. And I mean, I could literally like point. I could point you to like 45 minute segments of people like saying exactly that. You know. Um,
0: well, so yeah, let me talk to you about the dog whistles though, because you had um uh Talia Levine, who did um Culture Warlords, yep. the book on your podcast recently, and y'all were talking about um launderers. She kept mentioning launderers, which is a term that I've been using for folks like James Lindsay, who I believe are engaged in these these projects that essentially take right wing conspiracies and launder them under left wing language and left-wing, you know, signaling, and then sort of feed them back both to the right wing and to various sort of sympathetic folks on the left in a way that I think can then pull people sort of further and further right. And I've talked about how he's connected to sovereign nations and folks like that. And I'm curious, in your your world, do you feel like you can tell – are launderers actually having an impact? Are they? Are they you know, like, are, is is are there recruits who are rolling into these groups who are like, yeah, I started with James Lindsay and here I am? Or is it like, is there a way to really track that stuff? Do you find? Uh, I mean,
1: a lot of it is. Uh, I mean, yeah, Becca Lewis, previous uh, guest of the podcast, did her uh, data and society report on the Alternative Influence Network um, in uh, mm-hmm. twenty eighteen. Uh, which which indicates some of the um, at the time the kind of the network of connections just within YouTube um, and so there have been attempts to do uh, Megan Squire also a previous I uh, guess of the show um, did some uh, similar has done some similar work in terms of like trying to uh, do uh, content analysis and trying to understand kind of how the language spreads um, and so there, there are people mm-hmm. trying to do quantitative uh, work in this field um, I have a much more kind of like phenomenalistic um, impression of this and that I can sort of just kind of mm-hmm. track the way that things have moved over the years that I've been following it. Um, But you absolutely see, I mean, you know, Donald Trump in twenty, I believe early 2018 uh, tweeted about Mm -hmm. the South African farm murders um, which is a uh, Mm -hmm. kind of a far right Um, (laughs) There's a particular Nazi who's going to get very mad when I say this, but it's a far-right conspiracy theory that um, Mm -hmm. that white um, farmers, uh, Boer farmers in South Africa are being systematically genocided by uh, the majority um, black and um, uh, what they say colored, uh, people from the Indian subcontinent uh, population in South Africa. Mm -hmm. Um, but primarily by the by the black South African population, and that this is being like kind of covered up by the South African government, um, and and so uh, there are horrific crimes being committed against like isolated farms in South Africa, um, but there's no evidence that it's like a plot to right. you know annihilate the the white race in South Africa or anything to that to that uh, nature. Um, but it's a it's a it's a very common talking point. Um, Lauren Southern produced a documentary about it. Um, um, Katie Hopkins produced a, a Parallel documentary on this topic Um, and then Donald Trump actually like tweeted about it at one point and that was a real kind of like dividing line where the President of the United States is literally tweeting out this like super far right idea Mm -hmm. to his audience of 40 million Twitter followers and however many that. And so then it gets covered in, you know, like Tucker Carlson will cover it and, you know, those sorts of things. And so you definitely do see some of these ideas um, being pushed from these kind of like fringe far right figures more into sort of mainstream discourse. And you definitely see people who um, uh, someone named uh, Caleb Kane. Um, who is a Faraday Speaks Mm -hmm. on YouTube. Um, He uh, got some attention um, uh, about a year ago, year and a half ago, because he um, made a YouTube video describing his experience of sort of like falling down the YouTube radicalization rabbit hole where he starts off kind Mm -hmm. of watching Milo videos or I forget exactly where he started, but like Stefan Molyneux is kind of a big figure in terms of you start with Molyneux who has kind of who flirts a lot with kind of like he was definitely kind of like race realist in a real way he does the race and iq stuff pretty heavily flirts, um yeah. well you know but certainly like in like 2015 or 2014 he was a lot more kind of coded mm-hmm. in that and then kind of as things have kind sure. of moved further right he gets a lot more aggressive with it and um i did an episode on, we did an episode on stefan molyneux um talking about like how he he visits poland and then a, says, like, I am a white nationalist in all but that many words. Um, So, like, I think he's very clearly a white nationalist, but he doesn't, like, talk about the Jews, or at least not in so many words. He doesn't, like, he's much more coded in terms of the way he uses his language. But um, a lot of these figures who will kind of talk about, um, who have this kind of reactionary anti-left stance, um, but who don't kind of go as far, do act as kind of inroads for uh, these kind of extremely far-right far, far right people because, like, especially if you're there's a culture within this, within, like, kind of youth community, within YouTube, um, uh, kids kind of, teenage, teenage boys getting on and kind of out-edge each other they're sitting around and telling the, who can tell the dirtiest joke, who can tell the, you know. Um, and then when you start to kind of talk about who can tell the funniest Holocaust joke, who can tell the funniest Jew joke, who can tell the funniest joke about black people. And ultimately what happens is that um, these guys find uh, someone like a James Lindsay to kind of be weak sauce. And so then they move further down that mostly as a way of entertainment but then once you start kind of like mm-hmm. joking around about it they, they start to um internalize the ideas uh, more and more um uh, you know you you hear people say uh you know i read mein Kampf uh, so that i could like quote from it and like horrify my my liberal aunt um and then it just started to make a whole mm-hmm. lot of sense <laughs> you know um and you see that you see that all the time and it's a it's a deliberate strategy of a lot of these figures particularly in kind of 2017 the, the to to use humor in that way um uh Andrew Anglin do
0: you see these folks sorry go ahead do you see these folks picking up like um like language like the critiques of critical race theory, for example when when Trump retweets folks like Lindsay and Rufo and then talks about it, do you see that then filter into these groups, you know like them picking up the exposes about critical race theory in schools and children being taught that white is evil right. and such well, like it's that?
1: certainly um you know someone like um james lindsay or or rufo um you know kind of tweeting about these topics or kind of talking about like, oh, it's a great thing that critical race theory is being banned from schools um, becomes sort of like grift for the talking point mill among these kind of more far right figures. Um, And so you definitely see Mm -hmm. um, they definitely approve that sort of thing. I mean, again, they see someone like James Lindsay as being uh, at least openly when they kind of talk about um, him. I don't, I haven't heard them talk a lot about James Lindsay. You got a little bit more um, talk about him specifically when uh, during the so called squared, a Hoax. That was a little, that was a little bit more of kind of mm-hmm. a big story, in um, the in these kind of like far right things. But like they also see like well yeah, but like we all knew that was bullshit five years ago, and like it's great that James Lindsay is <laughs> late to the party essentially. Um, and so like one mm-hmm. of the things that I would like to uh, just kind of highlight, you know, just just on this matter is that. Uh, lately on the podcast, we have been doing a lot more of these uh, kind of IDW figures in this. Um, you know, we did two episodes on Tim Pool. Uh, we did an episode on, um, we did a couple, three on the Weinstein brothers, etc. Um, and we're going to kind of keep doing more of that kind of stuff. Partly because these extremely far right figures are not having the same um, direct impact. Like the term cuck actually came from a, uh, uh, like a message board in one of these far right spaces. It was literally created on a message board. It was promoted on the kind of super far right daily show, a podcast. And then the idea just kind of gets like pushed by through like YouTube commenters through uh, people in comment sections on like major websites on Twitter and It gets pushed into this right wing sphere. And then it becomes a term that people just use. It was, it was in very common parlance um, during kind of the 2015, 2016 election period. Um, they don't have that ability to do that anymore, partly because they've been um, taken off of the mainstream platforms. Like, you don't see, like, the new memes mm-hmm. that these guys are creating. Do not push into the mainstream in the same way, whereas um, figures like um, Brett and Eric Weinstein, um, the, uh, the you know the, the the sort of Maoist struggle session vision of uh, <laughs> you know what happened at Evergreen State College mm-hmm. in 2017, like that particular language then gets used in like Quillette, and then it gets used by um, in like the American Conservative and the National Review, and you can just kind of search like Maoist struggle session in um in the uh, in the search bar for the for news agencies, and you can kind of find these far right figures who are taking this language and these ideas from like the Weinstein brothers, but that isn't coming from the super far right spaces um really the mm-hmm. what's going on in terms of like rhetorically with these kind of super far right spaces today is that um you know someone like uh like like Candace Owens I believe get 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 very angry. And someone described her as far right, <laughs> right? And she's like, "I'm black. Mm-hmm. I'm a conservative, but I am not far right." And she'll point to, uh, you know, Stefan Molyneux, or she'll point to, you know, some, you know, the Daily Show guys or whatever. She wouldn't explicitly name them, but she points to like those figures. Look, like, those are the far right. I'm a moderate conservative, like uh, Ben Shapiro gets a lot of um, uh, rhetorical. Uh, a lot of rhetorical lead by um, saying I'm am just a conservative. I'm not alt-right. The reason he's not alt-right is like a he's Jewish, which you know is uh, you know sure. alt-right didn't like Jews. But like you were also a um, you were an editor in at large or editor in chief of Breitbart in 2016 when Steve Bannon was calling Breitbart the front page of the alt-right. So, like, you very clearly yeah. were all right. The term has different meanings. We, we say with
0: <laughs> Jews like that, who needs Gentiles?
1: <laughs> right. And, like, Ben Shapiro agrees with, like, 95% of, like, the actual policy positions of a kind of, like, an ethno-nationalist mm-hmm. Right. He just sort of accepts it as being more like, hey, we should like, uh, you know, it's more of a like civic nationalist bent, you know. Um, but then he gets to kind of so, point to these figures who are more aggressive, more assertive, further to the right than him and say, no, I'm not far right because all those guys are far right. And so that's sort of the way that these uh, very far right figures get to use the existence of this fringe, which is very loud, but fringe as a way of kind of like presenting themselves as sort of the reasonable alternative.
0: Gotcha. So so we're just about out of time. I wanted to try to be a little bit forward looking sure. at some of this. And I'm curious, sort of, what do you think? Do you have any sense at all or willing to, to guess at all about where this energy goes if Trump wins or if Trump loses? Do you feel like um, there's any sort of hope for breaking out of the spirals of radicalization or any theories of change that you are at all sympathetic to for addressing this sort of continuing to uh simmer and maybe eventually explode um negative energy
1: well there's a the the big picture is that uh we have to kind of confront the material conditions of the people who are uh within these spaces and um a lot of what creates this is a a rhetoric and an algorithm and a sort of a sort of a social reality, but a lot of it is also. I mean, you you listen to these guys and talk about how they're radicalized. It's like, well, yeah, I I got I got I got hooked on oxy for a couple of years, and my life fell apart. And like these groups are giving me an answer to the kind of real conditions of of my life, right? Um, they're giving me an answer. They're blaming the Jews. The Jews are clearly the problem, right? Um... As opposed to, you know, kind of bra- blaming, you know, the, the vestiges of capitalism and, and that sort of thing. So um, mm-hmm. we have to, as a long-term goal, we do have to address the actual material conditions to uh, to really get a hold of, like, solving this. And there are people doing, th- uh, like, union organizing, leftist organizing within Appalachia, within the Deep South, um, which I think is uh, essential as a kind of a long-term thing. I completely agree with those kinds well- of uh, 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 ideas.
0: Yes, let me ask you about that. Do you what do you think about the uh, the data that suggests that economic anxiety is not necessarily the driving factor behind racial animus and that often it's the other way around that the racial animus comes first and then the racial animus leads to a perceived sense of economic anxiety?
1: I, I would I mean I yes, I would broadly agree with that. I think that the the idea that, you know, among other things, the the people who are really um, in terms of like Trump voters, it was, it was this sort of like upper middle class, um, that were voting much more heavily for Trump than the, than the people in actual poverty, even in, in red States. Um, and in, uh, so, so it's, it's the guy who wants the car dealership, not <laughs> the, uh, you know, not, not the dishwasher and the, mm-hmm. and the local <laughs> Taco Bell necessarily who are, who are really kind of like the core of like Trump's, uh, base of support. Um, and this gets into like deeply complicated kind of sociological questions, but, um, I think the like economic anxiety is the thing that made people that makes people racist. I don't think that that's really the way it works. Um, economic tensions can exacerbate kind of existing racial animus but like for instance one of the things that's uh and again david nywert has is extensively documented this in his work um one of the things that like the strong predictor of like a rise in hate crimes is just a rise of like diversity in an area like it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with like sort of this kind of perceived economic Mm -hmm. anxiety it has to do with just kind of the existence of a of an other that can be victimized um and so yeah i mean Mm -hmm. uh i basically agree with your framing of it i I think that there's a lot of kind of complicated stuff to kind of poke around in that um that we aren't, aren't that i'll come back sometime and we can discuss that in a little bit more detail
0: yeah and we'll have to spend that time to talk on um you know, communism versus liberalism sure, and all those yeah, sorts no. of things because all, we're we're sort of plumb out right now, unfortunately. Everybody's... And I do I do still have to torture you. Oh, right, right. Yeah.
1: I almost forgot. I thought I was going to get out of that. But, yeah, okay.
0: No, there's no escaping the enlightening okay, round. Okay. You are trapped in it. So, that being said, it is time for the enlightening round. Enlightenment comes from within. So, for folks who are not familiar, first-time listeners, all the Nazis who have just decided to join us, uh, we're going to play a game where I'm going to give you a list of things, and you're going to tell me, are those things real or not real? Those are the only responses you're allowed to give, you're not allowed to hedge, you don't have to define what you mean by real. That is the rules. How do you feel? Are you uh, ready?
1: I'm not looking forward to this, but uh, let's let's go ahead. <laughs>
0: okay well let's test you out first of all is anything real yes okay so let's find out what's real is the external world real yes <laughs> you're already anxious That's no good. no I mean, I'm uh, really colors?
1: Okay. yeah i'll I go i'll go for that sure yes real
0: okay colors real yes okay phenomenal consciousness
1: I don't really know what that means, frankly. Um, it's just that having an experience. inner world of experience. Oh yeah, that's real. Yeah,
0: something it's like to be you. That's real. Okay. The philosophers can angrily complain that I didn't define it properly, but it's yeah. fine. Free will. <sighs> yes. Selves or persons.
1: Yes, I'll go with that.
0: Genders. <laughs> yes, many of them. Races? No. Species?
1: That is an interesting one. Yes.
0: <laughs> okay. Morality? Yes. Rights? No. Knowledge? Yes. God or gods? No. Society? Yes. Money? No. Numbers? Yes. Fictional characters? No. Holes, as in a hole in the ground? Yes. Chairs? Yes. Sandwiches? yes science yes natural laws yes beauty uh no love yes causality yes and finally time yes all right. You survived. How do you feel?
1: I feel okay. I I, I think I gave more uh, yes answers than I expected to on that. So, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. You were you were surprisingly succinct given that your general loquacious nature. I was impressed that you could uh restrain yourself in that way. Congratulations.
1: Yeah, no, I I didn't, you know, it's a podcaster's phenomenon of like you just love to hear your own fucking voice, right? But uh, you know,
0: I I, I knew understand. The, I I've, I've, I got two shows. I know I've how it listened works. listened to
1: the show before, I knew the rules. You don't get to hedge your bets on any of that. Uh, lots of those I would have a lot of uh a lot of really uh interesting conversations I think about like uh, why I give the answer I gave, but uh, you know,
0: I understand. You can certainly feel free to vent all of those things online after the fact. But for now, um, Daniel, I really appreciate you coming on. Do you want to let folks know where they can find your stuff one more time? Yeah, sure.
1: I'm uh, on Twitter, at uh, Daniel E. Harper. Uh, there's also a uh, kind of podcast-only uh, Twitter, which is at uh, IDSGpod. Uh, so you can kind of follow both of those if you'd like to. Uh, that's mostly just a placeholder. If you want to know me personally, it's Daniel E. Harper. Uh, and you can find the podcast at I Com.
0: Okay, great. Well, thanks so much. And good luck out there with all the Nazis. We'll try. Thanks a lot. As a human, I was ill equipped to thank you. But as myself, you have my everlasting gratitude. As always, I'd like to thank our listeners and patrons who make the show possible. We've got quite a few new patrons recently. So I'd like to thank Rambo Billy, Matthew Brown, former internet spaceship politician, Jess Abels, Luis Fernando Rodriguez. Nestor Buen, Intellectual Darkwave, Curdy, Rinthrin, uh, and Grant Godso. And as always, thanks to our twenty dollar tier Duke patrons, BlackNonbelievers.com, 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 Chad T, Jesse Rabinowitz, and Brenda Goodman. And our newest $20 patron, Patrick, thank you very much. And most of all, all of The Void thanks to our top tier patrons, Dave Maslich, the creepy eyes that stare at me from The Void, and our newest top patron, Big Easy Blasphemy. Thank you all so much. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and leave us a five star rating and a review on podcast apps. Follow us on Twitter at etvpod and if you notice a small void growing within you consider supporting us financially at patreon.com/embrace the void. Just $4 a month gets you early access to episodes and our bonus book club content. Most of all, and I cannot stress this enough, you are the void and the void is you.